HEC Breakthroughs. A knowledge at HEC Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Breakthroughs, our Knowledge at HEC podcast with the school's top research academics. I'm your host, Daniel Brown. Today, we meet the co-authors of Reinventing Your Business Model with Odyssey 3.14. Laurence Lehmann-Ortega and Hélène Musicas are behind this work. They've spent a decade researching models which integrate new factors dominating innovation, like sustainability and social rights. Laurence and Hélène are professors in HEC's strategy department. In September, the third edition of this highly successful publication was published. Unlike the first two, it's just in French, but that's set to change soon. In the book, the two HEC professors continue to develop their Odyssey 3.14 philosophy. They've updated all four sections and brought in new illustrations of their approach. For the next half hour, the two academics will explain to us the three pillars and 14 directions that innovation can take to transform the business world and its models. Thank you, Joy, and uh, it is a delight to share one of my favorite topics, developing a dynamic leadership team. You are an idea away from greatness. You are an idea away from success. That's all you need is a brilliant idea. And it might not come from you, but it's going to come from the leaders that you surround yourself with. You're going to wear yourself out unless you get yourself a team of dedicated, passionate, energetic people. Hi, uh, Len and Laurence. It's great to have you both uh, at this second film podcast of Breakthroughs. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. As I said earlier, you've just published uh, this book, Reinvent Your Business Model with Odyssey 3.14. This is uh, the third edition of a manual which goes back to 2014. Let's start with its uh, genesis. Uh, Elaine, I believe it was born when you realized both that innovation in business is mainly a fluke, as you called it, and executives don't really know how to go about it and bring it alive. Yeah, sure. I think there's not a, a single company today that wouldn't tell you that uh, their strategy is to be more innovative. And yet, uh, very few are very happy with what they do around innovation. So this book was uh, in particular to help them think through innovation, and in particular, one kind of innovation that we call business model innovation. Laurence, do you remember when there was that light bulb that lit up saying these uh, leaders need help in this field and uh, we're going to provide it to Elaine and myself? Yeah, I think it was both about innovation, but more generally speaking, we're, we are professors and strategy. And so we had this feeling that we had tools to explain the industry, to analyze the market for our students. And now you have to elaborate new strategic options, but there were nothing really to guide or to help or very limited tools to help both our students and practitioners to actually come up with innovative strategies. And this is how we also decided to, to work on this and to give them clues on how to actually come up with an innovative strategy. And when you say there was nothing available, you're meaning both in French and English? Of course, of course. According to a 2022 study that you quote, almost two-thirds of companies say innovation and or sustainability are two of their three priorities. But your research shows that few are willing to invest in the business model that's necessary to reach those goals. 
Hélène, why? So I think, in fact, it's really difficult to uh, judge whether a new business model is actually going to have a better impact, for example, on society or on environment. Therefore, companies are confronted, as we speak, with a lot of doubt on you know, what to go for. It's very difficult, uh, even financially, to forecast you know, uh, a success of a business model. But when you have to take into account, on top of that, the environmental impact and societal impact, it's a new field. And so what we're trying to do here is to simplify somewhat and help them judge, basically, what are the business models that they could maybe bet on for the future and test. So you're both professors in HEC's strategy department. Uh, Laurence, you're specialized in strategic innovation, especially in incumbents uh, firms in mature and low-tech uh, industries. Hélène, you draw on your long international experience that's not just in teaching but also in business to explore uh, strategy, innovation and implementation. For this book, how did you divide the work between the two of you? We, we have been working together for the past 15 years, and so 15. it's quite natural, I wow, think. Uh, a long we, uh, Yeah, and it's, it's also, we, what we like is that we're able to elaborate new ideas together to push back from each other and say, oh, no, no, I think we should push this one or this one. And, uh, and so it was, I think it was quite natural. And then we, we brainstorm on, on ideas, on, on examples, and then we, we work uh, on, on our side. Uh, <laughs> so we haven't really divided the book in two. Mm -hmm. I no. guess we got involved in each one of the yeah. chapters, uh, but we know, I guess, by experience, the weaknesses and strengths of each other <laughs> by now. Exactly. So we try to exploit that as well. So what are Laurence's strengths? We'll focus on that. <laughs> um, well, uh, I think uh, Laurence's strengths are, are in the writing and uh, also in putting it into context. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's our strength. Elaine so. <laughs> strengths, you mean, are definitely critical thinking. So she will always question things and are you sure about this or can't we go further? And, uh, and so yeah, I think it's a good... Uh, but I mean, when you, for example, have 50 of these stimulating companies that you explore, you divide it into 25 each or each one is discussed so, and analyzed? So, so first, Daniel, I think we had much more than 50. So the first question was which one of those hundreds of business models that we have identified everywhere in the world should we include of our book? Which ones are the most inspiring? Which ones, how can we choose them to make it more relevant to uh, our audience? And so this was the first work that, uh, that we've done. And then, uh, yeah, we, we split them. We have a template, so we always write in the same way, and then, uh, and then we, we, we write them, and then we, we um, read each other to make yeah. sure that we agree on what is written. I would say that collecting those examples, it's like an ongoing process. So every single day, potentially, we come across new examples. For example, uh, in class, someone mm -hmm. can talk about something mm -hmm. that they know about and we've never known about it, so we mm. collect examples. It's, it's an ongoing process. We mm. walk on the street and we see something and say, oh, that's an interesting example. So this collection is an ongoing process for now almost a decade. Mm -hmm. uh, what we try to do in those examples, though, is to have diversity of geographies, diversity of uh, types of businesses, industries. Uh, industries, and so on. So to show that actually what's happening, which is looking for business models that are more sustainable, happens everywhere. 
Now, this research has very practical consequences, and it's been at the heart of your course for executives, entrepreneurs, uh, and of course, HEC students here. Uh, as we see with an extract of a, a filmed invitation by both of you that was shot in early 2016. Oh. We consider innovation as a journey, an odyssey, a real adventure, combining innovation and strategy. And we would like to embark you in this adventure. Whether you're still a graduate student, a confirmed manager, or an executive, we will provide you tools to help you imagine disruptive strategies. This is a very hands-on course. As usual, there will be video lectures, quizzes, and real-life case studies. And in addition, you will also have to imagine your own business model, present it, and share it with the other participants on the program. Therefore, you will also get a chance to learn from them. So please join the Odyssey 314 community for this real adventure heading towards innovation. Well, the world has changed since you actually recorded this, uh, I think, in April of 2016. And since the first edition of your book in 2014, two years before, and you've completely renovated your approach. Uh, you've shifted away from uh, innovate to growth, uh, to innovate to contribute to the donut economy. J just remind us about uh, what this donut looks like. I believe it consists of a social foundation and an ecological uh, ceiling. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we, we really like this uh, this idea that has been developed by Kate Rivers about the donut economy. So donut is, is actually a visualization of the fact that we have planetary boundaries. So there are some boundaries that we don't want to go beyond. We need to remain within the planetary boundaries. So that's the outside of the donut. And then you have the inside, which is we also don't want to go below some social needs or some social some social aspects, basically. And so there's this outside that are the planetary boundaries, the ceiling, and then there is the, this floor about the social needs. And this designs the donut economy. And so while this concept is very interesting, I think, what we are doing it is applying it to business and saying, okay, so when we have a business, we need to stay within the donut. So it needs to be profitable business because you need to have profit while at the same time respecting the boundaries and the, and the floor, the social needs. That's, that's the overall idea. But, but why this need, Hélène, to move away from innovate for growth? I mean, some academics might say, well, let's innovate for degrowth. What do you say? Well, it's true that a lot of strategy and I would say 90% of the strategic conversations, they are about growth. And, and so let, let me just go back a little bit. When we actually launched the book, you know, we thought, okay, this is a topic of the moment. Business model reinvention, strategic innovation is a topic of the moment. And that was almost 10 years ago, as you mm -hmm. reminded. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you might think that, you know, 10 years later, as companies, they are focusing on something else. But in between happened digital transformation, digital revolution, and then the challenges of sustainability. So we found out that in fact, this idea of reinventing your business model is still very uh, of today, mm -hmm. uh, except that just the way you reinvent it has actually changed. Uh, uh, I would say seven years ago, it was all about integrating into your business model uh, digital technologies and maybe changing what you offer in that way. Today, it's really about how are you going to make your business model more sustainable. So this is why I think the word growth has disappeared. So business reinvention is very much on the agenda today still, but it's about making them more sustainable. Okay? If growth comes with it, it's perfect, but maybe that's not the absolute primary objective. 
So how much uh, rework was there in reinventing? Uh, I'm just showing the, the second book, which has been translated into English. I believe it came out in 2018, if I'm not wrong, the, uh, the second edition. The of, second uh, edition in reinvents. French in 2018. Right. So how much work was it to take all the, the 234 pages and rework it? So it's always more than expected, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we, we actually revisited quite a lot the first chapter, which actually decrypts what can be a business model. Because in our first editions, the first two, we were looking at the performance of a business model, very much focused on its financial performance. Okay, And now we have revisited this and by through this idea of our business models need to be within this donut economy, we're looking at the performance of business model, not only financially, this is necessary, but also in an environmental way and societal way. So this part was quite uh, revisited, mm. I would say. The other part that was revisited, of course, is the fourth chapter where we have all the examples because we wanted to bring new ex newer examples, even though not all the examples are new, but we wanted to bring about companies that are actually trying to find those business models of the future. Mm. So this one was also mm. revisited mm. Uh, significantly. So maybe what we can say is that the overall structure of the book hasn't changed per se. So we still have four chapters, one about the business model, one about the 14 directions, one about how to make innovation happen in organizations. And then we have the 50 cases. But the content, of course, of chapter one has changed extensively and also of the 50 cases. But as Elaine mentioned, we already had some cases that were um, they were already very good on the social and environmental issues because this is not new for us. It's not something we discovered two years ago, to be honest. We've been looking at those topics for, for years now. So it's not something um, completely yeah. uh, out of the blue for us. Another thing that we've kept that made people like the book is the, the practicality of it. Mm. So every double page, whatever you open the book, are supposed to be standalone and you learn something through reading those double pages, you can then close it and open another double page. So this, this way of structuring the book we've kept, actually. HEC Breakthroughs, a knowledge at HEC podcast. Let's deep dive a little bit into some of the um, points that you're making in this business model. For example, Laurence, can you describe these three pillars that uh, you're laying the book on? Sure. So the three pillars of the business model, we have the value proposition on one side, which is the description of what I'm offering to my customers, who are my customers, what am I offering them? So that's the first pillar. The second is what we call the value architecture. So it's basically the extended value chain. If the first pillar answers the question who and what, the second pillar answers the question how, how am I organized in order to deliver this product or service to my customers? And then we have the third pillar that we've called the contributions. And the contributions are, of course, the financial contribution, the profit equation, the financial and contribution, the profit, but also the environmental and the social contribution. So how is the company doing on those three blocks that explain the performance and that contribute to the overall purpose of the company. Yes, there's a need, Elaine, I think, to balance value proposition and value architecture to align them to create a performance. Is that right? Absolutely. I like to see it as a unique combination. Companies that are successful, they find this unique combination between the value proposition and the value architecture to generate great performance. Okay. 
companies that are less successful or less good in their strategy, this combination is less consistent. It doesn't click well, we could say, and therefore the performance is, is lower. I think what's important in the way we display the business model is actually graphically we show some arrows that show the interaction between all these elements. And I think this is a really important thing to understand. You mentioned graphic. How, how much work do you have to devote to these graphs and uh, <laughs> these illustrations that are just as important, I think, as the words that you mm -hmm. use, uh, mm -hmm. Laurence? So I think for the business model framework itself, we've been working on this for 15 years and again improving it as we as we go. And, and so at the beginning, I think it was a very ugly uh, PowerPoint with arrows. And so over the years, we've tried to improve it and, yeah. and we still continue to improve it over the years, I think. I think we believe a lot in also the visuals. This is why the book is so visual as well with the colors, because as Ellen mentioned, you can open it just at any page to make it simple and, and also for people to remember things. I think it's much easier if you have colors. We try to simplify. And it talks to the students here, for example, and the executives also. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I think it's for any public because people yeah. are less prone to spend time reading anyway. <laughs> so I think this idea that you open it and you get something and you can read, you know, uh, but we've learned over time that actually producing graphs is much more difficult technically <laughs> than producing a, you know, written, a written text. HEC breakthroughs. We've talked about the three pillars. What about these 14 directions that you explore to invent or reinvent uh, one's business model? Uh, you say, I quote, it's to answer the needs of the present without compromising the needs of the future generations, which is quite poetic. Uh, without listing these 14 directions, for you, what are the most important ones, Elaine? Let me start with you. So first of all, maybe we could explain what, what is the logic behind it. At the moment where you want to, to generate ideas for the future, there's one way that you can do that's really simple, is sit around a table and brainstorm with your colleagues, and you can put a lot of ideas on the table. What we're doing with those 14 directions is basically giving a little bit of structure to the brainstorming. Okay, so we're guiding somewhat the brainstorming, but could happen you know, without them. And so, in fact, there's not one that is over-dominating another one. They're all very important, and they are very, all very important to explore. However, for certain companies and certain industries, some of these directions might lead to no ideas at all, a dead end, or, on the contrary, a lot of ideas. So I think it depends more on which company and which industry, you know, how, how important they will be, respective to one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, this is what we wanted to do, is to offer some creativity. So each of the 14 directions are all illustrated by one or several examples. For people to be inspired, it was really about, we can show you examples of companies that have succeeded in doing so, and, and, let's get in, and let's get inspired through those examples, but in a very structured way, basically. But it's, it's an invitation to brainstorming. Huh? That's really what it is. Mm -hmm. And maybe one last thing, we have the impression up to now that with those 14 directions, if you really try to explore all of them, you're going to be pretty exhaustive in your search and in your idea generation. And maybe you won't miss out. While if you do a simple brainstorming around a table, you might have lots of ideas, but maybe not as exhaustive in terms of the quantity of ideas that you want. And then there's the interpersonal relationships in the company. Let's have a look at, at this extract of a popular fiction movie. Your methodologies are antiquated and weak. 
Your procedures of approval ensure that only the least radical ideas are rewarded. Meanwhile, your competition is innovating! Ow. You. What was the last suggestion you made to your boss? I thought the Coke machine should be free. Why? Because caffeine helps us program. Perfect. Smart, simple, and logical. And what did your boss say? He said no. Who builds the products of this company? You do. Engineers do. Not managers. They should be answering to you. Not you, to them! Who else has an idea like this man's Coke machine? All right! Tell me! Better yet. That was funny. I think I'm going to reuse it. Immediately. As soon as tomorrow morning. Thank you. The 2000 American comedy film Charlie's Angel, in which the character played by Lucy Liu feels innovation comes more from the workers than the managers. Is that true, Ellen? <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it's absolutely true. I think that uh, the, we, we know a certain number of things about innovative companies. And one thing we know is that those companies, they've told everyone, innovation is your job. So it's actually something that we develop somewhat in the third chapter of the book, where we try to show, uh, you know, what are basically the good practices that we know about uh, in terms of making innovation happen in companies. Yeah, and it's it's really about asking, so just telling people you need to be innovative isn't really enough, doesn't really work. So you really need to set a specific culture where people are free to think differently and also to experiment, of course, because innovation, especially business model innovation, doesn't you know, work overnight. So you need to, you will always have some time where you're trying to, to you know, play around with a business model, understand how it could work, test the hypothesis, and this is all about experimentation, which is a very important phase in innovation. And if you don't accept failure, then you don't innovate because you don't want to lose, so you don't try, basically. So that's, it, the cultural part is very important in, in, this, uh, in this change. In this uh, extract of, of uh, Charlie's Angels, you had the feeling that it was a lack of self-confidence uh, in these engineers that really was blocking them. But where do the blocks come from? Is it as much leaders not going towards uh, their workers and, and engineers for advice? Or um, is it the, the lack of confidence of the engineers addressing the managers with new ideas? In your book, do you explore this? Absolutely. So we try to highlight, you know, what companies can do. But I think the movie actually tells it all. It's, it's actually a combination of things that cumulatively uh, limit the, the freedom of people, not only mm -hmm. to bring about ideas, but to test them and to improve them potentially. So we see in the movie that engineers, they have lots of ideas and they love actually inventing things, but there are processes that uh, you know, basically pull them down and there are bosses that actually know no more than anyone else what will work and not work, but that mm. say no. Mm. This is why I think making innovation happen is really about a mindset and a context that you create mm. more than processes themselves. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
And what we, what we also really like is this idea that when you do innovation, you need to both exploit your existing business model and then explore the business model of tomorrow. So you have this exploitation exploration dilemma. So some people are really good in doing incremental innovation in improving the existing processes, for example, in, in fine tuning the existing business model. And then, but you also need to have a team. You also need to have people inside of the organization who think about the business model of tomorrow, because again, it won't appear overnight. You need to test it, to experiment with it, and it's not going to work. Uh, right away. So you need to have those two types of people or at least those two parts of the organization working on exploitation and exploration. Indeed, your, your book does explore this notion of creating a space for exchanging ideas. Limiting innovation to a small circle of uh, leaders does seem to have shown its limits worldwide. What, what role does this play in your book? So it's, it's actually one of the things that we recommend, uh, which is to actually try to spread innovation much more widely than, uh, you know, from dedicated team that would be that would be labeled innovative teams. So that's one thing that we discuss. Uh, and I think more generally, innovation is uh, really about collective intelligence. So as much as the companies can nurture this in every domain, OK, it can be in controlling, it can be in operations, then, you know, they will become more innovative. And bring to get people together from different horizons, uh, people who think differently, because innovation is also a lot about challenging conventional with them, of course. So, to, to build on this, for example, when we when companies or you know uh, people decide to apply this uh, Odyssey three fourteen approach back in the company, we always recommend that they're very careful on how they create the team to actually work on this and brainstorm. And basically, the basic recommendations are around the diversity of the team. We maybe don't want only marketers or we don't want only you know, you know, client representatives. And so this builds on this idea. In your third edition, uh, there are a lot of new examples that you explore, um, going from Fairphone to Oysted and Too Good To Go. Uh, I chose one from each of the three categories that you've created. That's uh, B2C, uh, B2B, and B2B2C, respectively. What guided your choices? You said you were looking at hundreds of companies over this time, and you focused on, on 50 that are inspiring. Yeah. Elen. I think, as, as I was explaining earlier, we're, we're looking for a diversity in uh, our examples, so geographical diversity, industry diversity. And, of course, we know that uh, a lot of our examples are B2C or B2B2C because these are the most visible ones to each one of us. We're consumers, of course. The B2B examples are a little bit more hidden sometimes. Okay, We don't have access to uh, B2B uh, very easily as consumers. So we try to balance, though, and, and have uh, you know, also uh, examples that are not just pure B2C. So that's what guided us in the, in the examples. Um, also, there's another thing that guided us. Uh, some of these examples have, for example, very strong environmental impact. Some others, very strong societal impact. So we looked at examples that were financially sound. That was the first criteria. But also tried to show some that were going in the societal direction and some other environmental balancing this as well. Mm. To tell you the truth, it's difficult to find uh, business models that actually check all the all the mm. points and yeah. are truly sustainable in all aspects. Well, let me put you on the spot. Wh which of the 50 uh, <laughs> check the most boxes? Oh, 
So my favorite, I think, is a company called Synergene, and uh, so that's a company in Kenya that is uh, supposed to be one of the most regenerative organizations in the world. So it's a, it's a company that started in 2009, and they actually have a double business model. They have one that is not-for-profit, and then they have another one that is for-profit. The not-for-profit is collecting human waste in uh, slums in Kenya, and uh, transferring this human waste. So this is a not-for-profit. They're running toilets, actually, in the slums. And they charge a fee, but this fee is then taken by the local entrepreneur. So that's the not-for-profit part. They have designed a very specific toilet. And so that's, that's the not-for-profit part. And then you have the for-profit part that is collecting the human waste and transform it either in fertilizer or in food to have a fleas that then uh, give protein, proteins. So very specific model, and it has been around for the past 15 years, so a very interesting one, solving both social and environmental issues at the same time. Sanaji cleans up growing cities by containing, collecting, and converting waste into valuable agricultural inputs and renewable energy to meet the demands of Kenya's growing population. To address the sanitation problem, we ran a franchise network of clean, affordable, and quality toilets called Fresh Life in Nairobi's informal settlements. For me, it, I want to quote this one because it comes from a company that we admire a lot, and this is Mishnah. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, it's a global, it's a multinational, mm -hmm. a very global company, yet it's very French, and it's located in the center of French. It's very old, and yet it's very innovative. Mm -hmm. And they are constantly working on reinventing their business model. So the example, which is only one among many that we, we, we mentioned in the book, is when Michelin decided to stop uh, selling their tires to fleets of buses and trucks and decided to uh, stop selling these products and sell kilometers and take into their hand the whole tire process of installing, maintaining, and recuperating the, the tires at the end of life. It's called EFI tires. And from there on, uh, Michelin has actually reinvented this business several times, uh, pushing it further and further. So we're quite great admirers of Michelin. Yeah. So this is what I wanted to quote this one. Yeah, and, and I think this, this has been in the book since the mm -hmm. beginning. And we also had a chance of having the new edition of the book that has been uh, prefaced by uh, Florent Menego, who is the CEO of Michelin. To be sustainable, a tire must limit its impact on the environment at every stage of its life cycle, during its design, in the choice of raw materials, during its production, during its transport, when it is used, and even at the end of its life. A sustainable tire is first and foremost a frugal tire, capable of improving its performances with less materials, but with even more biosourced and recycled components. Styrene and regenerated plastics, recycled metal, natural resins, citrus peel, wood chips. To wrap up our exchange, coming back to the Jouy en Josas campus and the students that you've been teaching uh, while you've been doing research this past decade for reinvent your business model, how have they contributed to your research and to the exchanges? <laughs> I think in many ways. So the first way, of course, we mentioned it is to collect new cases. Okay, when we teach, uh, some people react and say, "Oh, but I've heard about this case in Kenya. I've heard about this case in South America," because we're lucky to have those students and those executives from all over the world. So that's one way. Mm -hmm. 
maybe another way is challenging us, okay, and saying, okay, uh, you're presenting a framework, mm. but there are other frameworks around, and uh, how, why is yours better, and this other mm. one less good, and so there's a little bit of challenge that comes mm. from the discussion as well. Mm -hmm. But is that challenge also due to being a very cosmopolitan body of students of with uh, over a hundred different nationalities and hundreds of different cultures? When they're confronted with uh, your proposals in Odyssey uh, 3.14, do you get very different responses according to where they come from, the students? I don't really think so. I think what's, what will be different is that then students come up with, oh, you know, we, this reminds me of this amazing company in Argentina, in China, and wherever, and this then helps us collect new cases. But, but per se, I don't think there is a specific reaction according to the country you're coming from, because it's very universal, should I dare saying this, yeah. I think. It, it's, it's universal, it's on the top of agenda of companies, and yet it's something that has always existed as well. So I don't think we've seen any divide, no? whether it's industry divide or geographic divide. One thing we could say though is initially, as you reminded uh, earlier, we actually created this for, I would say, our main audience at HEC, which are large corporates, okay? But then, little by little, we realized that this was to reinvent business models, but the entrepreneurs we were talking to said, oh, but this is also very useful for me, because I don't yet have a business model, but I have a hypothesis of a business model. And with this, you're helping me challenge my hypothesis. And therefore, we've extended our teaching to entrepreneurs later on. Well, Hélène Musicas, uh, Laurence Lehmann-Ortega, thank you both very much. Uh, and I'm sure that you'll be coming back soon to present your fourth edition uh, once you get over the publication of the third, which is soon to come out uh, in English as well. My thanks for accepting our invitation to Breakthroughs. Thank you very thank you, much. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. HEC Breakthroughs. A knowledge at HEC podcast. Professor Laurence Lehmann-Ortega and Associate Professor Hélène Musicas, who are both in the Strategy Department at HEC Paris. As we've heard, the two researchers argue that business model innovation is radical in its essence. Through the Odyssey 3.14 framework they've developed, they hope to stimulate innovation and bring it alive in both theoretical and pragmatic terms. I'd like to invite listeners to explore their notions through their book, Reinventing Your Business Model, as well as the courses that you can enjoy either on Coursera or in person at HEC. Well, that wraps up this edition of Breakthroughs. To get insights into HEC's other research, why not subscribe to our monthly Knowledge at HEC newsletter? Oh, and if you have any comments or questions on this monthly podcast, please feel free to drop them off at browned at hec.fr. That's browned in one word at hec.fr. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>